Lectionary Lab Live is recorded by Two Bubbas and a Bible, live in Gainesville, Florida, and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delbert Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Good to hear you today and get up with you. We are going to talk some text today for the day of the church's year. It is time for the resurrection of the Lord. It is Easter Sunday. These are the texts for April the 9th, 2020. 23. There is great rejoicing that this day is here. There is anywhere from a smattering to a large residue of angst on the part of preachers <laughs> saying, okay, what am I going to say this year? Um, Depending on liturgical expectations, etc. 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 But what a joy to uh, to have arrived and to open the Easter season and the celebration of the resurrection. Great text today. Tell us what you got on your mind, Bubba, and uh, let's see if we can't help everybody uh, get on through after a busy Holy Week and the energy that's needed for the great crowd that will uh, be waiting to to hear something on uh, Easter Sunday. Well, you know, there's a lot to think about and do this week, as you just alluded to. I mean, you got, for depending on the liturgical tradition that you live in and the expectations of your congregation, there's Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Vigil, Easter Sunrise, Easter Day, et cetera, et cetera, to, for many of us to think about. And we're not going to try to hit all of that or all of the text. What mm-hmm. we want to talk about today is a little help for Easter Day. Yeah. That's what we wanted to give you. Um, so I want to talk briefly about the texts in front of us, just what they are, and mm-hmm. give one thing. Uh, you're going to read Acts 10 one way or t'other. Um, <laughs> yep. You have the option of making it the, the epistle lesson. I'm going to use the old language, the second lesson. Or you can make it the first lesson and just leave Jeremiah out. So you either do Jeremiah, Psalm. Acts and the gospel according to John, mm-hmm. or you start with Acts and forget Jeremiah, do the psalm, read a little short thing from Colossians mm-hmm. and then the John's gospel. Mm-hmm. So that's where we are. And that Acts text is, is tremendously important. And for me, now I'll, it is the text for me. Um, I love that early church proclamation because that approximates a little bit more where we are trying to think about what does this resurrection story mean mm-hmm. for us, and how do we tell that story? Right, so, right. Um, I'm going to come back and talk about the text in a minute. There's something I just want to talk about, about what it means to preach on, on days like Easter. Right. Uh, there's an old joke that talks about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. And it says, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. <laughs> Wisdom is knowing not to put tomato in a fruit salad. <laughs> there you go. Knowledge applied. Knowledge mm-hmm. and wisdom. Mm-hmm. Now just hang, hold on to that a minute. Uh, my very first year in ministry, back 77, 78, I was appointed in June of that year, and they fired me in 
June of the next year. <laughs> I moved on to a place where I spent yeah. four years. There was an Easter sunrise service by a little rural community. It had a post office and gas station and school, right? You know, that was the town. And mm-hmm. a bunch of little churches. There was a United Methodist Church and a United Church of Christ and a Quaker meeting and a couple of Wesleyan churches, small ones. Wesleyans were kind of a holiness offshoot of the United Methodist Church from the 19th century. And we were meeting at the Wesleyan Church at 7 a.m. or 6.30 for Easter sunrise. Mm-hmm. And the guest preacher never showed. And I got a little bit past the time to start, and we're trying to figure out what to do. We're in the host pastor's office, and this host pastor was not much. I was 23 and going to the divinity, the Mm -hmm. seminary. He was not much older than me, and he was going to the Bible college over in Greensboro. And he said, well, I'll do, I'll preach. (laughs) And he pulled down the notebook from his New Testament class, and when it came time to preach, he read his notes on resurrection <laughs> from his New Testament class. Yeah. And I remember sitting there thinking, well, this is, this is a, you know, I was just yeah. listening and thinking later, I said, that just wasn't what needed to happen, <laughs> but I, I understand. He panicked. Hey, what there, can there I you do? go. What are you? I think I would have just preached my Easter sermon and let my people hear it twice if I had to. But there anyway. Mm hmm. There was lots of knowledge imparted that day. Uh, he didn't show much wisdom. <laughs> there wasn't much you could walk away with uh, intentionally. Right. Right. I think Easter of all days is a day for wisdom and not knowledge. That is to say, this is no time to explain all the theories of resurrection and what it might mean and how it, and, mm-hmm. and how that works. I mean, that's a discussion that needs to be had. But this is a day not for knowledge, but for proclamation, yeah. not information. Yeah, that's it. That's the key. This is not a day for information. This is a day for proclamation, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. why I love that text from Acts 10 which is Peter proclaiming. It's his proclamation, yeah. The first, uh, there's this line that says, that message spread throughout Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. The, what, that message that there is no partiality. All are accepted. This is Peter's sermon. And it begins, what is the message we have to say to the world? Mm-hmm. And I think it's summarized best in 10... Uh, 39B40A, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear. That is the cornerstone of what story we have to tell. And potentially the greatest of the homiletical butts in Scripture. Which there are two you, of them today. I want to lift yeah. up both of them, but that's yep. the greatest homiletical butt there is. Mm-hmm. And Peter told a story yeah. without trying to tell you what that story means. Mm-hmm. Got a great quote I ran across from Flannery O'Connor, who, was, who wrote short stories, great Southern writer and a devout Roman Catholic. And um, she was always being asked what her stories mean. Uh, particularly since she wrote in a kind of uh, 
what's sometimes called Southern Gothic. She said, uh, some people called it grotesque. She said, well, you know, so in the mm-hmm. land of the deaf, you have to shout to be heard. <laughs> the spiritually deaf, you have mm-hmm. to shout to be heard. Mm-hmm. But another thing was she said, you know, uh, I write about what people really are like. And if that looks grotesque to you, I'm sorry. But people are always asking her what a story means. One of my favorite stories is someone asking her what the misfits hat, significance (laughs) of the misfits hat was in the story. (laughs) A person called the misfit. And she said the significance of the misfits hat was to keep the sun out of his eyes. (laughs) Somebody's trying to literarily interpret. She said this about what stories mean. A story is a way to say something that can't be said any other way. Mm-hmm. And it takes every word in the story to say what the meaning is. You tell a story because a statement would be inadequate. Wow. When anybody asks what a story is about, the most adequate thing to do is to tell them to read the story. Yep. You tell a story because a statement would be inadequate. Peter told a story. Told a story. The gospel evangelist told stories. Jesus told stories stories. because statements are inadequate. Now, don't misunderstand. I love theology. I'll sit around and read theology and have a ball and outline and try to figure all this out. But that's knowledge. That's information. And the gospel is about proclamation. Yeah. Yeah. And today we're trying to figure out how do we proclaim this story in 10 or 15 minutes to a congregation that half of whom have heard it over and over again, some of them like me, 50 to 60 times in their life, many mm-hmm. of them like some like me have told it a few times. Right. That's it. And other half have, on, this is the only part of the story they've actually heard. They hear about Jesus getting born. They hear about him getting resurrected and a little bit in between. <laughs> yeah. How do, you, how do you get them to listen to the story? What right. do you proclaim? Right. What do you say? I've got a little something. Yeah, and and I want to talk about that a little bit before we go today. But no, 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 not at this point. I I do want to. uh, I I think it's been a little while since we have, uh, since I brought this one up. But once upon a time here on the Lectionary Lab, we had guest pastors and preachers join us each week and join in the dialogue. Loved it. Just hasn't been our format lately. And the clearest memory I have comes from your friend and, and uh, my very pleasant acquaintance. I'm not as good a friend with the former bishop of the Southeastern Senate of the ELCA, Julian Gordy, uh, as you are. But uh, Bishop Gordy, on our show, we were talking about these texts and, you know, said, what, what in the world do you say, uh, you know, with a story like Easter? And when Julian paused for a second and he said, well... I think they've come to hear gospel, so let's give them gospel. That's it. Why have people come today? 
And there are going to be people in all sorts of situations. And that's what I want. I've got a, another friend I want to quote uh, towards the end of the show today. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's move so on. If, in. I'm going to start with the, the Acts text, uh, 39B, 48 in particular. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think... Uh, Christian faith turns on that pivot. And the Easter proclamation mm-hmm. turns on that pivot. This is the Christian message. Uh, the Christian hope. That in spite of the worst the world can do to us, in spite of the worst we can do to ourselves. Easter. Mm-hmm. Up from the grave he arose. But God. <laughs> Anybody frequent listeners to the show, of course, know my love of pointing out the homiletical butts in a text that, you know, that but is where you turn from it going this way, but, but and it goes another way. And this go. is the mm-hmm. classic, the, the, the epitome mm-hmm. of eclipse homiletical butts, but God. And I, I own that I, I love preaching the ser- sermons on this text in which it turns on talking about the world does this, this, and this. This is how we experience life. And mm-hmm. then I say, but God. But God. And there's all kind of, but God raised him. But God teaches us. But God intervened. All the way back with with the, the, the Exodus and in the wilderness and throughout Israel's history and throughout the church, the early church's history, it's always a but God moment. Mm-hmm. And and for me, the proclamation, uh, one way of going about the proclamation on this day is built around that with a a proclamation of but God. Mm -hmm. And that it didn't just take place then. It continues to take place throughout the the life of the church and continues to take place this day and into the future in all our lives. Um, I was recently have been reading... A uh, book that's been on my shelf a while. I bought it. And then um, it's Rachel Held Evans, the late Rachel Held Evans book, Inspired, about her struggle with the Bible. And I, I'll be honest, I was so, I care. I loved to read her and was so devastated hmm. when she died so young that I just let it sit there. I just didn't read it for a while. Yeah. And recently I picked it up and started reading it. And there's this great story in there. She talks about her uh, sister-in-law, who's from the Philippines. Her name is Maki, lives outside of Atlanta now. And said, Maki can draw a story out of anybody. (laughs) She can develop a congregation by one simple trick. People will tell her something happened, and she'll look at them and say, and then? And then? And then? So, So I was on my way over here, and then somebody cut me off and and I was aggravated, and I just, uh, and, and she said, and then, and then, and then Rachel Held Evans makes the point, that is all our stories. Mm-hmm. We are left with the open-endedness. Once we have proclaimed God's story, there's still an and then. Yeah. And uh, for me today, one of, uh, I've got some other sermon ideas coming out of the gospel lesson, but every sermon today needs to aim at an and then moment for the people listening. 
needs to remind ourselves to keep it it open ended and reminded us and then right it's not just that Christ was resurrected two thousand years ago. What is the and then of our story with the risen Christ and so yep. for me, some of this and thens uh out of this gospel lesson um you've got um this wonderful story you know of the i love the way john this is my favorite actually of the tomb stories mm-hmm. you know different va- wa- ways to look at it so you got early on the week and got mary going to the to the tomb and she saw it it's tomb the stone had been rolled away, rolled away what I, one of the things i love in this this text is the way we have increasing levels of revelation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Mary goes and sees the tomb. The stone has been removed, and she goes and tells people. Then you have Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, the other disciple. They run, and Peter stops, and then the other disciple goes in, and they see the empty tomb and the linens, and then they went home. Then Mary goes, but Mary goes in and she sees angels and they ask her why she's weeping. And she says, where, where have you laid him and this sort of stuff. And when she said this, they were gone, but there was Jesus, but she didn't know who Jesus was. He says the same thing. Why are you weeping? And when she, he calls her by name, then she realizes who he is that it's Jesus and she goes and announces it to the disciples. Yeah, so yeah. You have a little, it, it's, it's interesting. And I think intentional, a little bit of revelation gradually building up to meeting Christ. So within that story, as I've just outlined yeah. it, there are yeah. several preaching possibilities. Um, I think Mary as the evangelist, the one who hangs in there, fascinates me. Because you got you got Peter and the other disciple. They ran to the tomb and they saw the empty tomb. <laughs> um, one unbelieved, and what they do with it? They just went home. And then they head back out. Yeah. What did you doing after church today? Well, I thought we'd go home. <laughs> There's ball yeah. game on. Braves are playing after a while. They got a day game today. <laughs> Mary saw the, but Mary with even less, having seen less, went and proclaimed. She just saw the stone was moved and went and told somebody. She met the risen Lord in the garden and she went and announced. I think you can play with that. Uh, That's enough to play with for a sermon. Yeah, and it it is such a great story. It it it, it tells itself. Mary is, oh, uh, no disrespect, but she's the vehicle that ties this whole thing together. She she's in all the scenes, and so in a way, you've got all the other characters, Jesus included, interacting with Mary, and that's how we get our story today. That's how we get our, yeah. And it continues as kind of an and then story. You could stop at a lot of places, and you're done. And somebody says, and then. Mm-hmm. What happened next? And then, and it and once she announces at the end there, mm-hmm. told him it said these things to her. You have to end that with and then. And then, 
But mm-hmm. one of the things I'm thinking about is the difference between Peter and the other disciple mm-hmm. at this moment of just going home and Mary going to proclaim. Yeah. No judgment involved. Just thinking about, I've, I've had a lot of moments when I just went home. <laughs> I didn't know what to do mm-hmm. with it. But I have had those moments when I've been able to tell others right. what I saw. Right. And what I hope. So right. there's one preaching possibility. Got Another it. Another one um, starts out the same way. Peter and the other disciple run to the tomb. Saul believed and went home. That is, they went in and they saw the empty tomb, but they didn't pursue it any further. They went home. Uh, it says he believed. I'm not sure what he believed because the text says believed, and then for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what they believed at that point, <laughs> you know. So, but they just went home. They were, uh, and Mary, on the other hand, I'm not judging them. I'm just looking at what Mary did. Mm-hmm. She went in the tomb. She saw the angels. They asked why. Where she kept saying, "Where's Jesus?" Where's Jesus? Why are you weeping? Well, I don't know where you've taken, where you've laid it. Yeah, I'm upset. So He's Jesus, gone. Can't why are you weeping? And she thought he was a gardener. They've carried him away. Where is he? She kept seeking Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I just think the contrast between uh, Peter and the disciple going home mm-hmm. and her persistence of hope. Right. And I know um, this, I don't necessarily have to preach personally, but I just know from personal experience that I've had many times when I just didn't pursue. Hmm. You know, didn't take it well, any further. It's all I got. This is all I've got. Sure, <laughs> mm-hmm. enough. I'm, you know, like Peter. Okay, the tomb's empty. He's no longer dead. I'm going to go home and think about this. Hmm. That's enough. But yeah. there have been other times when I just kept, couldn't let it alone. Yeah. Or it won't let you alone. It won't let mm-hmm. me alone. Exactly. Yeah. Keep That's going it. deeper. And I, I'm just thinking of like contrasting those things about how at some seasons in our life, we just, we, it's just restless. Yeah. And we can't let it go and we keep digging. And Mary kept digging. Yeah. And the persistence of hope. So that's the second mm-hmm. one with that text. The third one that I, I just really love, and it's a little bit more of, uh, I don't know if you want to call it the pietistic end, or, um, but I love it, is that the ultimately every encounter with Christ is both personal. He called her by name, and then she mm-hmm. knew it. And communal. She went and announced it to the disciples. Right. Uh, every it, we it can't be just one or the other. It's not just personal me and Jesus. Right. But it is personal. Uh, called her by name. There's this wonderful uh, book by Dennis Covington called Salvation on Sand Mount. He's an English te- prof- was an English professor at University of Alabama Birmingham, and he knew his family from were from up in northeast Alabama on Sand Mountain and he finally he re- eventually figured out that they had been snake handlers. <laughs> 
And the book's about his exploration of his roots and about the area up there. But he ends with this wonderful story about growing up in suburban kind of Birmingham. And I don't know what exactly his father did. He said every other kid, we we all played outside. And every other kid, uh, mom would come out to the back door and yell out your name. Yeah. It's time for dinner. Some of them had bells. Come to dinner. He said, but my daddy <laughs> would come where I was yeah, and call my name when he could see me and I mm-hmm. could see him mm-hmm. and tell me to come to dinner. So very lyrical passage there at the very end of, of Salvation on Sand Mountain. And I, that's what I think of when this, he said Mary and she knew it. Right. But we can't leave it there. Yeah. It is very personal. But Mary also witnesses for us that it's communal. Yeah. We have to tell the story. Christ comes for each of us personally. That's how we, uh, you know, receive, interpret, experience. Uh, I've used that line before. And just like Mary, Jesus calls your name. He said, we're getting a little pietistic here. But it's, uh, I think it uh, carries and it preaches. But whatever it is that the Christ has for us, whatever God gives us, it's for us, but it is not only for us. It does. It returns to the community. It returns and spreads into the world. Uh, I, I think we're on solid theological ground there. And, and another mm-hmm. dynamic that, for me, permeates all of Holy Week is that in so many, too many ways, um, various forms of American Christianity mm-hmm. uh, end up with, a, it's a personal thing. it's totally it's a personal thing um and it's uh in a more evangelical form of it and i mean this both evangelical lutheran and evangelical Mm -hmm. in the the general sense it becomes a kind of person jesus died for me Mm -hmm. and somehow it it gets limited to i was a sinful person and I've done these things, and I'm going to not get to go to heaven. And then Jesus died for me and took sins on me. And now, because of what happened then, I get to go to heaven. And then God raised him from the dead, which opens to me the doors of eternal life. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And it stays as a kind of a personal thing. And it's almost like church is a gathering of those who have had this personal experience and we just share our personal experience. Mm -hmm. But resurrection is a a, a much (laughs) more gigantic thing than that. Ooh, that's a good word. Gigantic. Much more gigantic thing than that. And it has to do with the change of the world and how does life, death, and resurrection change the way we deal socially, communally, Mm -hmm. What is the kingdom of God that Jesus kept proclaiming? How does resurrection work with that? What does it call us to? And this proclamation on this Easter day calls us through that personal experience right. into exploring the and then of how does this affect the way we live our lives and how mm-hmm. does it affect the way we live communally right. as the church in the world. Right. Right. How do we live a resurrection life mm-hmm. right. as the church having an impact upon the world? Absolutely. 
I want to say a word, Bubba, because there are some of us who are going to exercise the option of sticking with Matthew. And so Matthew 28, 1 through 10, brief reading, everything you've said applies. You know, let the story be the story. Just let it carry. Very quickly, sort of a way to think through this. These are not so much points as they are way to think. Uh, this story, and, and in fact, all of the resurrection stories, none of them offer any proof of resurrection. Okay, there's no proof here. You can't prove that Jesus is alive from this story. That's not the point. Nobody saw Jesus leave the tomb. Nobody saw what happened. When we have this description of the earthquake and the lightning and the angel rolling back the stone, that's what it's all surrounding. You know, this is the this is the revelation. Uh, this this story offers a little bit of contrast in some ways, and so this angel is the um, literally the messenger is sort of the character here. Yeah. There's fear, just like every time we see an angel in scripture. There's fear. There's some ties here to the announcement at Christmas. If you're thinking of the church telling the story, we started telling it in Advent and Christmas, and now we're kind of beginning to wrap it up. There was fear. The guards dropped down. The, you know, they faint. The women are afraid. And then the message from the angel, don't be afraid. That same message that's echoed everywhere throughout Scripture, Hebrew Scripture and Christian Scripture. Uh, again, we heard the angel first words at Christmas, to be not afraid, don't be afraid. And then here's the intriguing thing that I think ties into exactly what you're saying. The angel gives them the message, I know you're looking for Jesus. He was crucified. He's not here. Uh, you can come in and see the place where he lay, but Go tell the disciples, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. Yeah. You're going to see him there. And these women take that. They depart with fear and with great joy. It seems to be, it's kind of always that way as we move into the future. God has for us as we move out of the dark, difficult times, just like they'd had all weekend. There's fear and there's great joy. And of course, they get a little extra meeting from Jesus. When he confirms the message, tell the brothers, go on to Galilee. There they will see me. Jesus always goes ahead. And that's where we find him. They didn't dwell at the tomb. They couldn't, you know, prove anything at the tomb. They weren't even looking for a resurrected Jesus when they came. Notice yep. it said they were just coming to just go to the tomb, man, you know. Yep. But Jesus always goes ahead. That's where we find him. We must go ahead. Do not be afraid, even though let's acknowledge the fear, the anxiety, the other things that are in our future. Let's find joy that Jesus is there. It is there they will see, that we will find him. And that opens to the perfect and then. Yep. The life we live is a life of and, and then. Man. And that's where we will find Jesus. So there's there's a couple of thoughts if you're going to need to handle the Matthew's uh, version so, this Sunday. Exactly. Wonderful job. Appreciate that. And, and particularly I like the 
the dealing with the, the, the fear, which there's a lot yeah, of it for absolutely. us and how we, how we deal with it. So I wanted to hopefully end this today with, uh, you always have the church funnies, you know, on, uh, <laughs> on our premium thing or some of that. So yeah, yeah. I want to share, uh, the tackiest yet true sermon <laughs> illustration. Okay. So uh, that I've ever used. And, and, you know, I started preaching when I was 23. I've made my share of tacky mistakes in <laughs> 46 plus years of ministry. Right. So when I was a kid growing up, the weekly local wrestling show was a big deal to me. <laughs> Channel 8 out of High Point, North Carolina, the announcer was Charlie Harp. And poor Charlie, he was a respected uh, sportscaster, but one of his assignments was they had a room in the studio with maybe 15 <laughs> people sitting in folded chairs in a wrestling <laughs> ring, and they would bring in some of these uh, third-string local wrestlers, wrestlers. Yeah. local wrestlers that were going to be at the uh, Billy Bob Johnson Junior High School in Louisville or at the National yeah. Guard Armory in Mount Airy to advertise the little lo- local wrestling circuit. And my heroes were Johnny Weaver and George Becker, who were, they were the good guys, who were always wrestling Rip, Rip Hawk and Swede Hanson, who were the bad guys. <laughs> and I recall uh, more than once that it went like this, you know, you got uh, George Becker, who was a good, solid guy, but he wasn't the hero. Johnny Weaver was, and so you got tag team, and George is in trouble, and he manages to tag, and Johnny right. Weaver gets in there, and then Rip Hawk and Sweet are both getting on him, and somehow uh, uh, John, uh, George can't get to him, and, his, and Charlie's going, he's down. Oh, this is terrible. He's down. I swear, he's out. This is, they're going to lose. This is so bad. No, wait. Wait. He's up. He's up. He's up. And, you know, always at the end, after total disaster, he's up. Yeah. And at some point in my early career, I preached an Easter Sunday sermon, <laughs> wrestling on Channel 8. This is awful. This is bad. This is Good Friday. Oh, wait. He's up. <laughs> I wouldn't suggest it, but I'd la- I'd think about it on Easter Sunday morning. Remember, that is actually our message. <laughs> our message. He's down. This is terrible. It's he, over. No, wait. He's up. He may be down for the count, but oh, no, wait. He's up. He's I do. I, I like it, Bubba. I like it. My two cents worth come from Mark Tidsworth this week. Mark is a... Uh, a minister and uh, is the founder and the current chairman of Pinnacle Associates. They do church consulting work, do good, good work. And uh, Mark's a great writer. And he said this because there is this thing about Easter. Well, I'm going to see people that only come once a year, maybe twice a year or etc. Mark helped me set my mind for the people that are going to be in the pews this week. Those who rarely participate in worship, but who may be with your church this week, are there because they hope there's good news left somewhere in this crazy world. They're there because they recently met a Christ follower who inspired hope in them, and they wonder if it's possible to find some more in your church. They're there because someone else is pressuring them to do so, or they're there because they're honoring their elderly parents, transporting them and assisting them 
into the sanctuary. They're there because they want their children to understand their Christian roots, regardless of the current state of their spirituality. They're there because of nostalgia, but secretly hope something more than pleasant memories will come their way. They're there to impress someone, maybe even someone who died years ago. They're there with their outdated understandings of God formed in childhood Sunday school. They're there only after hiring a specialist to sit with their special needs child so they could get out and come to your church for worship. They're there this year, but doubt they'll return again next year. They're there this year, but are not sure they want to live another year to return next year. So, let's center ourselves well, preparing to welcome all in love like Jesus does. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. And we we just really don't know exactly who is going to be sitting there on Sunday or why, but I'm going to go back uh, to Bishop Gordy. I think they've come for gospel. So let's give them gospel. That's right. All right, man. It's good. It's good. Thank you. We'll be back next week. We'll talk about uh, the first Sunday after Easter. Uh, and, uh, you know, what we do with that. But uh, in the meantime, I don't think there's much left for us to do, Bubba, other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbas and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Next Steps, performed by Half.Cool. We go out today with the classic Easter song, written by Annie Herring and performed by second chapter of Acts.